following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So I want you to think, today we're talking about participating, and you might have noticed that the way that this happens ultimately in a gathering of Jesus followers is through the Lord's Supper. Now, if you bring up the Lord's Supper among Christians, this is one of two things that will cause arm wrestling matches. I didn't know if you knew this. So Jesus only really told the church to do two things. I mean, he told the church to do all kinds of things, but he gave particular practices that he wanted us to do. Like, they're very clear. He said, I want you to baptize, because he said, I want you to go make disciples. And the way you make disciples is you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them everything I have commanded to you. And we, we, we spent a, week, a Sunday on this some weeks ago. But the other thing he said to do, and he said it, do this, he said do this twice when he was saying it, is the Lord's Supper. And he said do it often. As often as you eat and drink, which might be a little more often than we do it here, but we'll all grow in that. The point is to say this. Do it, right? Why? Why would Jesus be so intent on telling us to do things that are going to cause Christians to have arm wrestling matches? This is kind of interesting. Well, that's partially why Christians get a little bit bent out of shape sometimes is because these are important. They're like, Jesus said to do these, so they're important, right? And, and, and that's okay. That's a good thing. But my question to you is why do you do it? And you might be sitting there, well, Mark, hey, look, if Jesus said jump, I'm going to say how high, and that's great, and I appreciate that. But why do you do it? What are you, when you come to the Lord's table, what are you coming for? Why, you know, you know, for some people, there's the question of how should we do it? You know, in fact, you know, we're building a new church building. Praise God, this is fun, this is exciting. And, and one of the questions that came up is, are we going to put in a kneeling rail? You know, because here at the winery, there's no kneeling rail. And, um, and so there's some people who are like, we should put a kneeling rail. And other people are like, man, my knees don't work anymore. Don't put me in that position. And so there's a lot of different opinions about that. Some people say you should use a big loaf of bread and tear off the bread. And we kind of have a, we kind of got that going a little bit more nowadays. And then there's some people say you should have the common cup. And then everybody who has studied, you know, germs are like, I don't want to do the common cup, you know, and they're not, not, and then, so there's all these different opinions. Should you use red wine or white wine? A lot of people don't know that white wine was probably what Jesus used based upon our study of history and culture and, and wine from that time period. And everybody's like, but when, but ever since I've been born, the church has used red wine. So therefore, that's what Jesus must have used, right? Well, you know, you'd be surprised to learn. So there's a lot of, you know, there's, What's the right way to do it, right? And see, this is where, you know, and then there's this other thing. What is the Lord's Supper? Is it, is it, is it a symbol? Is it the real presence of Jesus? Is it, um, is it a religious ritual or is it a meal? It's kind of an interesting set of questions. And if we're going to talk about why it's so important for us here at Praise and Worship, because it's our core value. We have 10 core values. This is number 10. And if you were to ask me, what's the difference between your church and other churches, you know, I don't like to say the word Lutheran because I don't think a lot of people understand what that word is and it's Reformation Day and then the fact that that's true is even more important now than ever. But what I want people to know is we're focused on Jesus. We're very focused on Jesus. We're relentless in our focus on Jesus. And one of the ways that he told us to remain in him was by participating in his body 
and in his blood. Let's take a look at a few scriptures to see what that means. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. Now, you need to know that almost all of these today, I think all but one are going to say MLV. That's because this is too important. Mark did his own. This is the Mark's literal version. This is Mark's translation. But it's not like anything's different. It's just I want to bring some words out that maybe don't, don't always get highlighted. And the reason for that is because there's so much here that depending on how you grew up, you might have missed. I know I did. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, one paragraph earlier than where we read, or maybe two paragraphs, depending on how you break it up, says, is not the cup of blessing for which we bless, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, a participation, the Greek word there, koinonia, sharing, participating, I mean, yeah, just keep saying those words, participation, sharing, in the blood of Christ, and is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all take part in the one loaf. And he's teaching us something here by the power of the Holy Spirit that I pray you and I would, would hear very clearly. And that is the Lord's Supper is about participating. That's just what it is. And there's a reason why it is, it is about participating, because it does something. This is the first thing you've got to hold on to when you're studying the Lord's Supper according to God's word. Now, everybody has their own opinions, but I want you to hear God's. It does something. What does it do? It, first of all, when we do it, we're in it. What does that mean? I don't have a clue. That's why the old folks, back in the days of the, of the mid, Middle Ages, when they were using Latin as their language, they used, for that word for participation, Latin is communion. Okay? And communion, you've heard this word, right? We use that because that's what you do on the second and fourth and fifth Sundays at Praise and Worship. You do communion. So we hear that word and it has all that meaning to us, but I want you to see communion is this like mystical unity, right? It's this koinonia, it's the sharing. And then there was another word that they would use in Latin that helped them understand it, and that was the word sacramentum, which, if you translate that raw into our language, is mystery. It is a mystery. And so the first thing you need to know is it, is it is the sharing, the participating, it is a mystery, but then it also does this whole thing with the body. How many bodies? One. Yeah. And so because there is one body, because there's one loaf, there's one body, we all take part in. And that's what, that's what we do. We take part in it. We participate in it. The Lord's Supper does stuff. What does it do? Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 11.26. Jumping ahead a little bit because I want you to see one of the things that it does. It says, that for, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death or the death of the Lord until he comes. And what's interesting about this is the death of the Lord, we're all kind of think, well, that's kind of solemn. And it is because what does he say? Do this in remembrance of me, Right? But it's not just his death, it's also his resurrection. And we know this by reading the rest of 1 Corinthians, right? We're in chapter 11 right now. In a couple chapters, he's going to get to chapter 15. And when he talks about the death of the Lord, he's like, I want to tell you about just as Jesus went into the ground and came out alive and bodily, so you will go into the ground and come out alive bodily. This is the promise of God for you and for me. We're not in, we're not, it's not some kind of like you go to church to get your ticket so you can fly away in the by and by. No, 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 no. You come to church to participate in the body of Christ so that 
we can hear about, we can receive the proclamation. Because you know what, there's another one who does proclamation. I don't know if you've run into him. He's the one who comes to you and says, who do you think you are? I know what you did last night. <laughs> I mean, why do you think you belong there? You're trash. You remember all those times when you said one thing and did another? You know who I'm referring to here. This is the accuser, the devil, right? And I know, you know, in our day, nobody likes to pretend, believe he's real, but may, may I just say that he is to you. And when we proclaim this, he has to run away. He has to be quiet. He has to stop. Because this says, it's kind of like um, I, when I grew up, I loved listening to this guy named Carmen. He did like Christian rock when there wasn't any. And so, you know, that's, we, had, we didn't have much to choose from. But one of the things I always loved about him is he says, hey, the next time the devil comes and reminds you of his past, you remind him of his future, right? That's, that's the idea. And that's what this does. That's what this does. We win. We win. Anything that happens, it's going to be okay. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe this. Very hard. Because we experience life broken. We experience life broken. And God is constantly proclaiming to you and to me, it's not always going to be that way. And in fact, it's not even that way now. And that's why we gather around his table. And we listen to him and we participate with him in the proclamation of the Lord's death and his resurrection and his resurrection. Take a look at verses 23 to 25, because these are the words, right? These are what Jesus said, do this. And, and if you'll notice, in a, kind of in our faith tradition, what we've always done is these words appear four times in the Bible. And each of the four times, they're, they're slightly different. There's a, there's a nuance among them, because each of the four times, you had a different author writing them, you had a different context, and so forth. And so what we do, we do what all good Lutherans do. We conflate all four and make them the one. You know, we kind of bring them together. And so the idea is, is you, you'll see some subtle differences, but the closest one is what we see here in 1 Corinthians. He says, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now this is the other thing that you need to know is that the reason we do the Lord's Supper is the exact same reason we saw in Deuteronomy 30 last week is that God said, now what I want you to do with my word is I want you to write it on your doorposts. I want you to wear it on your clothes. I want you to, when you're walking on the road with your kids, I want you to teach it to them. So people are always telling me, you know, Pastor, the problem is when we took prayer out of schools. No, it isn't. The problem is when we took prayer out of the house. That's when the problem happened. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. Pray at home. Teach the word of God at home. You do this, and now we're talking. Now we're cooking with Crisco, as they used to say. So this is what you want to hear. He goes, I, what I received, I passed on to you. I want you guys to hear me say this. When he says that, he's encouraging us to do the same. What we received, we pass on to to those with us. And what did he receive? He received that the Lord Jesus took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. He did not say, it represents my body. The Greek word is estin. It has one meaning, it's is. And if you say represents, then you mean, by definition, is not. So we just go with is. Does it make sense? No. The Lord has spoken. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things the Lord says that don't make sense. And we say, blessed be the name of the Lord, he has spoken. So we don't understand it, but we trust him. So he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So there's his command. I want you guys to do this. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is 
the new covenant. Now something's going on there. Because now when Jesus says this is the new covenant, then we don't have to sit there and go, you know, are we, are we like the people of the new covenant? You don't have to wonder that. Because he's taking it and he's giving it to you. And he says, drink it. Let it go down your gullet, man, and feel it as it goes down. Smell it on, your, on the person's breath next to you that I know you don't always feel comfortable with, but smell it, all right? It's a real thing. God does not work in the abstract. He works through real things. When Moses, when he's talking to Moses, he's, Moses is like, how am I gonna go to Pharaoh and tell him all this stuff? He's like, pick up your staff. And Moses is like, what? Pick up your staff, God says. And he picks him up, and then God starts doing miracles with his staff. He works through sticks, he works through bread, he works through wine, he works through water, he works through yahoos who yap on a Sunday morning. He works through stuff in your life so that you know he's real. Because our whole life we struggle. Everyone in this room, including the yapper, struggles to believe that he's real. We do. And the first time we, we admit that, that we struggle, then we're okay. Because then the Holy Spirit's like, let me, let me help you out with that. The minute you think you got it all figured out, you got it all under control. That's when we're in trouble. Don't ever, don't ever go that route. That's believing the lie of the devil. He would much rather have someone in church every Sunday till they die and never actually believe any of this than someone who struggles to even make it once in a while and <laughs> is broken. Because that is where this works. That's what he does. This is the new covenant. The old covenant was try more, do more, try harder, get better. That's the old covenant. It's obsolete, the book of Hebrews says. It's gone. We are the people of the new covenant. We receive the body and the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Look what he says. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, we gotta go to verse 27, and we gotta do a little work here because there's this passage in here, and this is part of what causes arm wrestling matches among Christians because they're like, whoa, wait a minute. So look what it says. It says, so then, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is guilty against the body and the blood. And then there's a little more under there. We're going to talk about that. But let's talk about this first because you're kind of like, if you're like me and you're reading along, this is the part that will cause you to pull the car over and sit there and go, wait, what? I thought this was about God's grace. It is. I thought this was about being people of the new covenant. It is. But let's take a little journey back to the Old Covenant, shall we? And let's go into the temple. Okay, so when you want to, let's say that's the front door of the temple. You come in, the very first thing was a wash basin for you to wash your hands in. And you would wash and you would become clean. And then there was another place, the altar, where you would, it was, there was these horns on it. And upon the horn of the altar, you would sacrifice the lamb. And then because of that, you would be clean enough to enter into the holy place and then once you're in the holy place, on one side would have been the bread of the presence, right here, right? And it was this bread which, re, which was a reminder that God was there. Not a symbol, it was a reminder he actually was there. And then over on this side, there was a lampstand. Light of the world kind of thing, right? And then there was another altar here, and at that altar you, you would burn incense, which might be prayers, it might, you know, certainly they're actually burning the incense. We don't do that a lot now because people have allergies. But, you know, there's that, there's that activity that you do. And then, after, and only then would you, one person, once a year, go beyond that curtain into the most holy place. And if they did it wrong, they would die. 
You might read, you might remember some stories in 1st, 2nd Samuel or 1st, 2nd Kings or 1st, 2nd Chronicles. There's lots of stories where people would do it wrong and they would die. Paul is saying the new covenant, <laughs> God is still there. In fact, he's more there now than ever. And so if you, if you treat it with contempt, if you treat it like, you know, this is why you know, people will say, how old do you have to be to take the Lord's Supper? And we always love to say, well, you have to be old enough to where you don't laugh about it. You have to, no snickering, right? I mean, now, don't make me wrong. Don't make, mistake me. We need to have joy. Sometimes we will be laughing when we're up here, but that laughing is the joy of the Lord. But we take it seriously. And I always love to say, you know, if it's a symbol, then how can this happen, right? This is kind of a strange thing. So, so look what he says down below. There's this little arrow that's coming up because he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. In our, in our faith tradition, this becomes a real serious matter. I'm sure you've been to churches where they will say, you can't take the Lord's Supper unless you're a member of our church. Because what they're doing is they're saying, we don't want you to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. We don't want you to be guilty against the body of the blood because we don't even know who you are. We don't know anything about you and that sort of thing. And I think that that's a very important thing to consider, but the way that we do it here is we actually ask those questions every single time we take the Lord's Supper. Because I don't want to also make the assumption, just because you've been going to church here for 50 years, of course our church is only six years old, that'd be hard, but if you somehow achieved that feat, maybe you got a flux capacitor, right Connor? And so, so if you had achieved that feat and you have been doing that, I don't want to make that assumption. Every single time we do this, we take these words seriously. Take a look at verses 28 to 30. Because he then gives us the answer of how to do this. And it's this big, fat Greek word, which is diakrino, right? And you're like, oh, great, that cleared it up for me, Mark. Appreciate it. It's all Greek to me, right? I understand. Those jokes are not funny to seminary students, right? But look at what he says. A person should examine themselves and in this way eat the bread and the cup. So he's basically saying, here's how you do it. Anyone eating and drinking while not recognizing the body is eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and quite a few have fallen asleep. The Apostle Paul was saying, people who were not recognizing the body were getting sick and dying. That didn't end just with the church in Corinth. And this is why, if you've been to a church where they're like, we'd ask you that you not take the Lord's Supper, don't get too mad at them, okay? They're just, they're, 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 they're worried about this. They're caring, they're loving their neighbors, right? But what we all do, you know, in, in the effort to be scared, let's not be driven by a spirit of fear. Let's just receive the word of the Lord and let's practice it in our midst. Let's participate in it. And so what we do here at Praise and Worship is we spend a little time recognizing the body every time we take the Lord's Supper. And we always ask this question, is this the body or is this the body? And what do you guys say? Yes. There is a vertical component of the, of the Lord's Supper that we never, ever, ever want to lose. Jesus said, this is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And you might be sitting there saying, if you're a, if you're a theological think, thinker like I am, Mr. Tech guy up here, I would always hear the pastor say that and I'm like, but you just forgave our sins like 10 minutes ago. Or in my case, because I preached too long, 20 minutes ago. And so, so what is it? What is it, preacher man? Did I get my sins forgiven then or now? And I always love to say, well, do you, how often do you need to eat food? How often do you need to drink water? How often do you need to know everything's going to be okay? How often do you need to know that people love you? And we would all be like, oh yeah, actually, more please. Yeah, more please. So it's not, it's not some sort of weird thing where you're like, oh, you just get your sins forgiven, and then you're good. It's a ticket-punching mentality. 
throw the ticket punching mentality out and throw it down the hill and kick it a few times so it doesn't come back. I want you to receive the new covenant mentality. This is the building up of a new people, a new humanity, a humanity where there's the horizontal component along with the vertical, right? And so the horizontal component means because Jesus saved me, because he rescued me, I am set free to participate with him in the same for others, in the love for one another, in the helping him build up a new people. Last night, we had all this stuff ready to go for the Bonanza, right? Was the Bonanza was this big Halloween event put on by our community, and then the weather turned sour, and they canceled it. And so what did our crew do? Well, too bad. And I mean, we had certainly had that urge. We were like, you know, the, a night inside drinking hot chocolate sounds better than going out in the cold. We see why they canceled it, right? And yet everybody's like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go out there because there's going to be some people who don't get the alert that it's been canceled, and we're going to grill up some burgers and dogs, and we're going to give candy out to the people who come. And you'd be surprised that a whole bunch of people did show up. And so now our people who are, we don't have anything special. We don't have any gifts that others don't have or whatever, nothing like that. We're just there with hearts to serve. We don't know what's gonna happen. We had no idea. And it turns out we met people, we gave them candy, we gave them hot dogs, and we were able to share the love of Jesus. It's just one little moment, just one little thing. You might think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it was diacrino. It was recognizing the body. And this is why that if we, if we take our practice of the Lord's Supper and we turn it into who shouldn't come, then we've actually maybe missed something very critical. We actually might slip into, in our effort to protect people, we might slip into the point where, well, let me see here. You and you and you. You guys were extra sinful this week. You shouldn't come. You might drink judgment. Anybody grow up in a church like that? I know, I know, I know a few. I did too. And this is where now we've detached ourselves from the scriptures and we've moved from something that started out with as a really good thing and gotten into trouble because now we're putting ourselves in the position of, of um, eating, or not eating and drinking, but of judging, right? So I have to tell you a true story. I'm sitting in Systematics 3 at the seminary. This is where, this is the class where we arm wrestle about communion. This is what we do. And so one day my professor, who liked to get kind of, he, he'd get lathered up, and he started preaching in the middle of his, and he's sitting there going, he's going, I want to know just one thing, because he did not, he and I didn't agree on this particular topic. He goes, I want to know just one thing. Where do we get the idea that we should have individuals actually design, deciding for themselves whether they should take the Lord's Supper? Let's see here. A person should examine themselves, <laughs> and in this way, you see what happens. My professor is one of the most brilliant men. He knows more in his little finger than I will ever know. He's brilliant. He is absolutely powerful and tremendous in teaching God's word. Much of the fire I have in my bones came from him. But all of us, and this, that by that being, that includes me, are going to make mistakes. And so what we all do is we do what the Bereans did in Acts 17. Paul says they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Paul would come to town and the Thessalonians just took him at his word. But the Bereans went back and looked at God's word and said, let's see if he did this the right way. And that's what we all need to do for each other all the time because we're going to make mistakes. We said it all day long. We're broken. 
And so if my professor who knows so much can make that mistake, I know that this Yehu certainly will, and the rest of us are in danger as well. So as a group, as a community, only two letters different than communion, we will constantly seek out God's word and we will reform. That's what the Reformation was all about. The Reformation is about going back to God's word and looking for Jesus and pointing people to him. And that's what we should always be doing in every generation. So you might have, you might say, well, this church does communion wrong because they don't use the right kind of wine or that church does communion wrong because they just seem to let everybody in. We don't let everybody in here. We invite everyone to examine themselves because we don't want anyone getting sick or dying. That phrase, falling asleep, it means dying. Of course, for Paul, two few chapters later, he's like, anybody who dies in Christ is gonna rise again. But we don't want that. We participate in the Lord's Supper because it gives you and me power. It's the power of the gospel. You know, you might go home and be like, I don't remember what he preached on, but the communion wine was really good. And we all might think that's a little irreverent. It's not irreverent, it's beautiful. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. That's one of the reasons we're at the wineries, because we have the best communion wine. I mean, that's how that works. Take a look at 1 Corinthians verse 11, excuse me, chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. He says then, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, wait for each other. Because in their culture, one of the biggest challenges that they were having is that they were having a church gathering that consisted of people very high in society and people very low in society. And so if you were the, if you were the magistrate of the town or, or you, were one of the, you were maybe the fire chief or the person who ran the local restaurant or whatever, you would have slaves who would do all the work. That's how they did in their culture. And so they were gathering together and, and doing the Lord's Supper and, wait a minute, the magistrate and the slave were supposed to be equal? This doesn't make any sense. See how that might work in our culture? Can you imagine taking the Lord's Supper if you were Republican and there was a Democrat next to you? A Chiefs fan and a Packers fan? Notice that red is the color of the Reformation. Just throwing that out there. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, wait for each other. This is the horizontal component. Recognize the body. God doesn't care if you're the magistrate or the slave. We're all slaves either to the devil or to the risen Lord who sets us free. It's a, just a choice of that measure. He says, if anyone is hungry, just, you know, in other words, if you're focused on the wrong things, if you're saying, well, I want to get in there and get in there first, this is not the Lord's Supper. And then I love what he says there, so, so that your gathering does not bring judgment upon, and we miss this. You have to, see, this is where English, like formal English, doesn't have this, but Texas English does. They have the plural of the second, pro, of the second person pronoun, which is y'all, right? And so the proper translation here is that you don't want your gathering to bring judgment upon y'all. And this is an important thing for Americans to hear, because we're all individuals. But in, in this, we're the body. And so it's not about individual judgment. It's about corporate judgment, something that we don't think about hardly ever. We're just worried about getting our ticket punched. Remember what we do? Take that, kick it down the hill. Kick it three or four times so it goes all the way into the lake. We're in this together. 
Pastor Barry shared this in, in Bible study that fellowship, which, oh, by the way, is another English way to translate koinonia, another way to translate communion. Fellowship is when two fellas are on the ship, right? Or gals in this case, but fellow rhymes and all it works all the way. It's part of the word fellowship, right? So the idea is two fellas, two people on one ship, we're going together. And if the ship suddenly springs a leak, it's going to affect all of us. And that is what Jesus is trying to do. Not trying, he doesn't try, he just does. It's what we're trying to grow in as we participate in the Lord's Supper. It is, it is in, in Jude, it's called the love feast, the agape meal. Take a look at our last passage. It was the same as our first. I just want you, these questions to be the last things you hear today before we take the Lord's Supper. Is not the cup a blessing which we bless a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We, who are many, are one body, for we all take part in one loaf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you boldly right now to be with us. Open our hearts about the Lord's Supper. Let us see it for what it is, which is this tremendous gift that you give to us by which we participate in, that we share in. That's where you are the Lord and we are the people and yet you eat with us. You identify with us. And yes, we should not take it lightly. We should never treat it in an irreverent way but let our reverence be found in you, not in our traditions. Let our reverence be for your majesty, not for our proprium. Let, your, let our reverence be based in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, not in some sort of solemn, scared fear, which is driven out by perfect love. And if there was ever a place where there's perfect love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it is at the Lord's table where the grace of God flows out and where we can eat and drink your very words. We pray boldly that you would accomplish that in us and through us as we celebrate all of this through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The appropriate response to that is Let's eat. Because this is a meal. This is a meal. I know we kind of grew up doing religious stuff. This is a meal. And I want everyone here to be ready to take the meal. Now, there's a couple of questions we always ask these, and now you kind of know where they came from. Um, so we have these questions that we're going to put up here, and the questions are, do I believe that Jesus died for me? So if you're sitting there and you're going, you know, Mark, I just got drugged to church against my will by my parents or by whoever, you know, this is, you know, or by my friends who are like, hey, come to church, come to church, come to church. Those are good friends to have, by the way. If, if you, but if you're not ready, if you don't believe this, then don't take the meal because this would be like the people who would walk into the temple and be like, yeah, I don't care about any of this, and that, that was a bad thing. So don't do that. If you do believe that Jesus died for you, and you recognize the body, which is to say, this is the very presence of Christ, this is the very presence of Christ. Because that's what scripture says, then I want you to come up to this meal. Do I believe Jesus' words, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you, shed for you, 
for the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe what he said? Not what Mark says, not what a particular church tradition says, but what the risen Jesus Christ says, if you believe him. My Uncle Marty would say it like this, and given it's Reformation Day, I would love to quote him. He would say, he or she who hears the words of Jesus and believes what they say has what they promise. This is in the book of Concord, large catechism on the teaching of the sacrament of the altar. This is what we believe, teach, and confess. The person who is worthy to attend the Lord's Supper is the one who believes the words of Jesus. Luther went on to say that is the sum and the total of someone's preparedness to receive the Lord's Supper. He said, he goes on to say in that same set of paragraphs that if you feel like you're not worthy, then you should be the first one up here. Worthiness is not determined by us, it is determined by Jesus. When we examine our hearts, do we believe his words? If the answer is yes, you should run up here. The next question, do I intend then to do what Jesus said, to participate in the new covenant? which means to, with the help of the Spirit, repent and follow Jesus. An example is last night we had the urge to stay home and stay warm, but we repented and we went with Jesus down to the cold open air pavilion and started handing out candy to perfectly strangers. This is part of what that looks like. There's many other ways. Sometimes it might be a husband who, who the wife says something and the husband knows that she's wrong, which never happens for me, but, 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 you know that, and of course, if the husband knows that he's wrong, that's really bad because that means he's completely wrong. But the idea is, is you, you think you're in an argument with your spouse and you're like, I know that she's wrong and I'm right. And then you're like, I'm just going to button my lip. And the wife who's sitting there going, well, I'm going to knock his block off for that. And she's like, I, I won't. This, just this time. Maybe next time. I always love Billy Graham's wife. They asked her, do you ever think about divorcing your husband? She's like, oh, heavens, no. Not divorcing him. Killing him, I think about that often. <laughs> The, but this, you see how this works. It's, it's we, we cry out to Jesus and he helps us in our weakness. This is, how, this is how the people of the new covenant live. We're not perfect. We are broken. But we live together in our brokenness and we love one another because he first loved us. If you believe these things, I encourage you and invite you to come to the Lord's table. A couple of things you need to know about the Lord's Supper today. We um, have a gluten-free loaf that has been already uh, prepared for us. And that loaf um, is, is going to be handed out. And then in the center of the tray of wine, um, there is a clear liquid, which is non-alcoholic wine. If that's something you need, um, please let us know as we disperse that to you today. Um, Jesus was not in a basilica or a cathedral or a giant church building. He was in a person's home. It was the upper room of a fellow's house which Jesus had sent his disciples ahead and they said it's for the Lord and so they like prepared the meal, right? And it was on the very night that he was betrayed by humans. We always love to think if we were there, we wouldn't have done that. But I, I can tell you if I was there, I would have been probably part of the people arresting him or nailing him. I don't know. One of those parts I would have played. It was that night when he was betrayed as they were celebrating the Passover meal, during the meal, um, he took the bread and he blessed it. And after he'd given thanks, he said to them, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and after he'd given thanks, he blessed it and he gave it to all of them and he said, take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. 
And Christians, since that night, every time or very frequently when we gather, we love to reenact this meal because he said to. And so we reenact the meal and we then add these words which have grown out of our tradition and they're beautiful words. It's what Jesus said on the day he rose from the dead. The peace of the Lord be with you. And we love to add on, and the power of the risen Jesus be with you always. Amen. Amen. And so with that, I want to invite up the person who is helping me with communion, which is Jeff. Um, And as Jeff makes his way up here, a couple of notes. We're going to go up this side first. And what we'll do is we'll start with this front row, and they'll just kind of come up here and kind of work their way out and kind of repeat. And when in in doubt, if you're coming up and you think, oh my goodness, there's not room, just come up anyway, we'll make room, it works out great. And this way we can always be unorganized religion, it works really good. And so then you come up here, you go out that way, and then after all of those rows do, then this this back row will kind of do the same thing. And then after all of those folks have come, we'll repeat on this side flow like that. And so with that, we invite our first folks up for the Lord's Supper.